Good morning, everybody. A, a word of explanation, not apology, not defense, explanation about what I'm wearing this morning. This is a gift of love to me from my family and a gift of love from them to you since they recognize that communication is many times at least as facial as it is oral. And I have noticed as I'm walking around, I like to smile at kids and I keep doing that with a cloth mask on and they just look at me and don't notice what my face is communicating. So I hope you can tolerate this and understand it and accept it as a gift of love. And now a word to boys and girls. I wish I could invite you to come up here this morning. I really don't think that would be too safe. At home you'll be able to see it better, but if you're having trouble seeing me and you can't come forward, you can at least stand up where you are to see better. Please feel free to do that. You can see what I have in my hand this morning, what I took along with me, but I want you to know that while we almost always call this a Bible, I want you to think of it today as a cookbook. Now, if you know anything about cookbooks, you know that it's recipes that it's full of. And recipes tell you how to make things. Things like bread and cookies and cakes and salads and casseroles. And the steps are right there for how to do it. The Bible is a book with recipes of a kind in it, teaching us how to be obedient, how to be loving, how to be kind, how to live for Jesus, and how to be saved, to mention just a few things. If you know anything about cookbooks, you know that you have to follow a recipe step by step, or it doesn't turn out right. Well, the recipes in this book are no different. And if you want to know how to be saved, this book says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Those are the instructions. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing from us, no special obedience, no big gift, no tremendous accomplishment, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Follow the recipe in a cookbook for a cake or a pie or a salad or a casserole and you'll get what you want. Follow the recipe for salvation in this book and you'll get what you need. Be sure you follow the instructions carefully. A is Reformation Sunday. A day we think about a lot of things, but probably most frequently Martin Luther. If you looked at the worship sheet you picked up on the way in, you noticed that I had an unusual sermon title. 
It's spelled correctly, Munkery see, Munkery do. I have to tell you that I used that title before, some time ago, and didn't explain it when I turned in the information at the office. And the secretary who typed the bulletin decided she would help me out and spell my words correctly. And before I knew it, in the bulletin, in the newsletter, and on the sign out in front of the church, it said, monkey see, monkey do. I want you to know this spelling is correct. I'm not going to talk to you about monkeys this morning, but about monkery. And I hope what I say will explain it. The word of God comes to us from two brief passages in the letter of Paul to the Romans today, from chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, you can find it on page 911. And then we'll flip to chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, on page 913, or you can watch on the screen. The Word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And now to chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Martin Luther was crazy certifiably insane, hopelessly out of his mind. With that rather provocative sentence, R.C. Sproul began a sermon for Reformation Day on this very text, and he titled it The Insanity of Luther. Luther once said, if any man could have made it to heaven through monkery, it is I. 
He was a brilliant person, pursuing a career in law at the head of his class. And then one night, he was riding home on a horse in the dark when a storm started. And a bolt of lightning hit near the horse, and the horse bucked, and Luther fell to the ground. When he came to his senses, he felt all over and decided he was still whole and cried out in the dark, Help me, Saint Anne, and I will be a monk. Very soon after that, he resigned his position in the law school and entered a monastery. As a monk, R.C. Sproul said, Luther dedicated himself 1,000% to his vocation. And that's why he could say, if anybody could have made it to heaven through monkery, it was I. He said that in a letter he wrote to the Duke of Saxony. And in that letter, he also said, and I'm quoting him now, I was indeed a pious monk and followed the rules of my order more strictly than I can express. If ever a monk could obtain heaven by his monkish works, I should certainly have been entitled to it. Of this, all the friars who have known me can testify. If I had continued much longer, I should have carried my mortification even to my death. By means of my watchings, prayers, reading, and other labors. But what works can come from a heart like mine? How can I stand before the holiness of my judge with works polluted in their very source? If any man could have made it to heaven through monkery, it is I. But it gradually began to dawn on Luther that there was no such man. And heaven is where he wanted to make it too. Luther wrote about the first time, as a monk, he officiated at the Mass. The first time. And as he stood behind the altar, he read the words of the liturgy and everything was going smoothly until he got to the words of consecration, consecrating the host and the wine. And he stopped talking. And he couldn't speak. And his mouth simply dropped open, his hands at his side, and his lips began to quiver. And after a while, he mumbled something unintelligible to the congregation. And later, somebody said to him, what happened to you at that point? And this is what he said. When I began to realize that I was about to hold the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ in my hands, in these hands, these mortal hands, these filthy hands, I was terrified to continue 
Luther always insisted that after the elements were consecrated, the body and blood of Jesus were right there in those vessels with the bread and the wine. Physically, we believe Christ is there spiritually. We both believed Jesus is present at the sacrament. And Luther was terrified to touch Jesus. Oh, he wanted Jesus more than he wanted anything. But he didn't dare come. He thought he wasn't worthy to be there. He thought Jesus would be repulsed by his sins. So Luther did everything he could think of to make himself right with God. R.C. Sproul describes the efforts in the monastery this way. It was customary daily for the monks in the monastery to go to the confessional and to confess their sins to their father confessor, the sins they had committed in the previous 24-hour period. As you would expect, the monks would say, well, last night I coveted Brother Andrew's extra helping of potatoes in the mess hall, or I stayed up with a candle reading the Bible five minutes after lights out. I mean, how much trouble can you get into in a monastery? Basically, it was a perfunctory kind of thing. Father, bless me, I have sinned. I've done this, he'd say. Do a couple of Hail Marys and a small penance, and that was it. They'd go back to their work. Luther would come into the confessional and give a recitation of his sins of the last day that would go on for an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours until the leaders of the monastery didn't know what to do with this guy. Luther deprived himself. Luther went on pilgrimages. Luther lifted his robe and climbed up the marble steps of cathedrals in Europe, praying on every level and bloodying his legs while he did. Luther punished himself. Luther denied himself. But he said, and I'm quoting him, all I see is Jesus Christ, the angry judge, standing there ready to cast me into hell at any moment. I spent four hours in the confessional. I mentioned every sin I could think of. I get five minutes peace when I go back after the benediction. I go back to my cell, and as soon as I walk in the door, I immediately think of a sin I forgot to confess, and my peace is gone. If any man could ever have made it to heaven through monkery, it is I. But no one could, and Luther didn't. And he remained empty and unfulfilled and unsaved and terribly unhappy because of it. Then one night in the monastery, while preparing a lecture for the next day, Introducing the letter of Paul to the Romans, he read the first few chapters of Romans as if for the first time. He heard, the just shall live 
by faith. It had never gotten through to him before. He had heard it, he had read it, he had said it, but he had never listened. And he got to chapter 3 and read the words, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law, apart from self-punishment, apart from self-deprivation, apart from 1,000% efforts at monkery. Now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. <sighs> Suddenly, Luther wrote, the light dawned on me that the righteousness of God that Paul is talking about was the righteousness of Christ that God freely grants to his unrighteous children who will embrace it and trust it and believe it. As I understood it, I realized that my salvation, my justification, does not depend ultimately on my performance, on my righteousness, but it is given to me by the righteousness of Jesus. He is my righteousness. He is the cloak. He covers my nakedness. When I understood it and the light of the gospel came into my soul, the gates of paradise opened and I walked through. The just shall live by faith. I will stand against king, against emperor, against bishop, against pope, against the whole world, because this is the article on which the church stands or the church falls. And God's good news to us this morning is that this is his promise to all who believe, all who believe. This is what it takes, surrender in faith to Jesus. Not 1,000% efforts at 16th century monkery or its 21st century counterparts. Faith. Centuries before Luther, a Roman orator, playwright, advisor to the emperor Nero, and a contemporary of Paul's, a man by the name of Seneca, said, all people are looking Ad salutem, that's Latin for towards salvation. Seneca said what everybody needs is, quote, a hand let down to lift us up. What all people crave, he said, is a peace, quote, not of Caesar's proclaiming, but of God's. Paul had been gripped by the hand, let down to lift us up. So now had Martin Luther. And so also would John Wesley know that. From the same text, Wesley was a hesitant, reluctant, incomplete Christian who went on the 24th of May, 1738, to a group of Christians meeting in a house to study the word of God together. 
He didn't want to go. He didn't want to be there, but he went anyway. And he walked in late, and when he came, they were reading from the preface of Luther's commentary on the letter to the Romans. And Luther was saying, salvation is not to be found in what you do or what I do, but only in what Jesus has already done for us. Only by faith in him and his sacrifice can we be made right with God. Wesley wrote in his journal every night, and that night he wrote, my heart was strangely warmed. And this man, who like Paul when he was still Saul, or Luther when he was still sane, and felt empty and unfulfilled, found a peace that can only come from knowing a hand let down, laid down to lift us up. He became a famous preacher, and people crowded to see and hear, hear him preach. And one day when somebody said to him, why do so many people come to listen to you preach? He said famously, I set myself on fire, and people come to see me burn. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that was the experience also of John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, who lived midway between Luther and Wesley, who in his Pilgrim's Progress said, as I was walking up and down in the house as a man in a most woeful state, that word of God took hold of my heart. You are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But oh, what a turn it made on me. Now I was as one awakened out of some troublesome sleep and dream and listening to this heavenly sentence it was as if I heard it thus expounded to me. Sinner, thou thinkest that because of thy sins and infirmities I cannot save thy soul. But behold, my son is by me, and upon him I look, and not on thee. And I will deal with thee according as I am pleased with him. There's your peace, Martin Luther. There's your peace, John Bunyan. There's your peace, John Wesley. And there's your peace as well. God looks at the one who believes and sees the righteousness of Jesus. And all of my efforts or your efforts at monkery see, monkery do just fade into the background and evolve into a prayer. Lord Jesus, see me and do your work in me. The just shall live forever by that faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's so simple. We've heard it so often, and we still try so hard 
to make some of the payments ourselves. Climb some of the way alone. Put out some of the effort from us. Lord Jesus, help us to know, not just with our heads but our hearts, that the just shall live by faith. Not by efforts, not by strength, not by accomplishment, not by renown, but by faith. And faith alone. Now seal that faith to us in this sacrament, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. We've learned together about the power of this sacrament to nourish our souls. Now together we come to share this meal, the joyful feast of the people of God. Here we are as the family of God, and we are here to meet Jesus. When Jesus shared this meal with his Emmaus disciples, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites those who trust in him to share the feast that he has prepared, to have our eyes opened and recognize Jesus here with us. Jesus himself meets us in this sacrament. Sacraments are holy acts in which God's action calls for our response. In this supper, our Lord offers the bread and cup to believers to guarantee our share in his death and resurrection and to unite us to him and to each other. As we take this food gladly, we announce that as we eat, that Jesus is our life. Declare that truth boldly together with me now. Just as truly as we take and hold the elements in our hands and eat and drink them with our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. We receive these elements by faith. Family of God, the Lord has prepared this table for true believers. If you are sorry for your sins and sincerely follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are invited to come with gladness to this table of the Lord. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been to this sacrament often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Let us pray. Lord our God, send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nourish our spirits by your grace given to us and may we all 
with all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. Amen. At this time, I invite you to take the fellowship cup from the pew rack, or if you're watching through live stream, take your prepared elements at this time. Together with one voice, I invite you to answer this question. Is not the bread that we eat a sharing in the body of Christ? We who are many are one body, for we all share the same loaf. This is the body of Christ, given for you. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Is not the cup that we drink a sharing in the blood of Christ? The cup that we drink is our participation in the blood of Christ. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take, drink, remember, and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Let us pray. Lord God, in deep gratitude for this moment, this meal, these people, we give ourselves to you. Take us out to live as changed people because we have shared the living bread and cannot remain the same. Ask much of us, expect much from us. Enable much by us, Encourage many through us. So, Lord, may we live to your glory, both as inhabitants of earth and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You please stand for God's parting blessing, and the praise team may come forward. Go now in peace. And may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all places. The Lord be with you all. Amen.